The House House That Dripped Blood, 1971, with Doug McCoy. In this episode, Doug McCoy is going to tell us all about The House That Dripped Blood, from 1971. He'll tell you about his memories of when he first viewed it and the impact it had. And he'll also talk about his own love for horror anthologies, and specifically about the horror anthologies of Amicus Films. A horror movie that scared me as a kid and still scares me today. Well, there are a couple movies which uh, fit that description. Suspiria would certainly be one of those. I did not see uh, Suspiria entirely when I was a kid, but I did see a portion of it on USA Saturday Nightmares. USA Saturday Nightmares would show little shorts um, between their features and their Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Hitchhiker and Ray Bradbury Theater episodes. One time they showed uh, one of the murder scenes from Suspiria. I think the first murder scene from Suspiria as one of these shorts. And in it, a woman looks through a window, a pair of eyes glow out in the dark, a hand bursts through the grass, glass, grabs her head, pulls her through the window. Then she's up on the roof and it's stabbing her and you see the knife go in her heart. Then it wraps a cord around her neck and puts her on this big stained glass window and the weight of her body slowly causes the window to break and she falls and as she falls the wire pulls taunt and hangs her. So I mean you, you she got killed three or four times uh, in that little segment. What a horrific thing for a kid to see not even knowing what it was. There was no setup, there was no explanation. I don't believe they were showing the entire film. I I believe they just aired that clip as a short and it has been burned in my memory ever since. Suspiria is still uh, a disturbing movie to me today, but that part I- itself really continues to disturb me today. Another movie which would fit this description is a movie whose title, unfortunately, I don't know. It again again is a movie I saw on USA Saturday Nightmares. Uh, The part I remember, and it may be an Italian horror, another Italian horror like Suspiria, um, because it just kind of had that look of the 70s Italian horror films. But uh, the part that I remember is a young girl, I believe she's a schoolgirl. I believe she has like a, uh, a school uniform on, is walking past some uh, hedges, quite tall hedges that are above her head. And an eerie voice says either Jessica or Sarah or something, some girl's name that ends in an A. And then her body is just ripped off the path into the hedges and, and they all start shaking and it's just... Uh, terrified me to no end back then and it would continue to terrify me today I believe if I could identify that film and, and see it again. My memories of it are are quite uh, frightening. The Lottery. Shirley Jackson's The Lottery has been filmed several times. It continues to be filmed even uh, into our times uh, or relatively recent times. I believe there was a version in the 90s that had that um, Dan guy from MTV and um, Veronica Cartwright in it, uh, I believe. We watched some other version when I was in middle school uh, as part of our English class. And this version was filmed, I mean, almost like found footage. I mean, but found footage didn't really exist back then, but it was filmed in a cinema verite style, almost like it was a documentary. You didn't really have people um, stand there addressing the camera. It was more like a camera was just in the crowd and we were catching bits and pieces and then all of a sudden somebody gets stoned to death. That uh, terrified me then. 
continues to terrify me today. But one movie which really stands out above all the other movies that I saw back then and was terrified by and that I have re-seen in modern times and, and continue to be terrified by, uh, that's a little uh, movie called The House That Dripped Blood. The House That Dripped Blood is uh, an anthology horror movie. There was a, a spate of those, I think maybe late 60s, early 70s, I'm not quite sure. The House That Dripped Blood was one of those. It was uh, distributed by Amicus, a lot of those movies. Uh, were distributed by Amicus or, or produced by Amicus, made by Amicus. There was um, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, I think, and uh, Tales from the Crypt and Tales that Witness Madness. And uh, The House that Drip Blood, it is uh, one of those. It was uh, written by uh, Robert Block, the uh, author of uh, Psycho, the, the book that was turned into Hitchcock's uh, uh, masterpiece movie. Stars Christopher Lee. Peter Cushing, of course, well-known uh, names to not only horror fans, but today even just regular movie fans. I mean, just about everybody knows Christopher Lee from uh, Lord of the Rings, and um, uh, he was in Star Wars, wasn't he? And Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, So, uh, and Peter Cushing was in Star Wars too, so uh, they are uh, quite well-known. Um, it had uh, four segments to it. Uh, the last three... Uh, one was uh, about a waxworks and a mannequin in the waxworks. Peter Cushing, another friend, uh, are in love with uh, one of the uh, figures there, I think. Um, the third one, Christopher Lee's daughter has a doll and he won't allow her to have it. And his uh, nanny doesn't understand why. And it turns out the little girl's a witch and uses the doll to kill him like a voodoo doll or something. Uh, and then the last one, uh, the cloak is about an aging actor who wants to be an authentic vampire. He's portraying a vampire in a movie and wants to be authentic on film. So he gets a real vampire's cloak and it turns him uh, into a, a, a vampire. Uh, great stories. There's a pretty good framing device too, where there's a, a police detective who's investigating a, a murder or disappearance at this house and discovers all these other um, stories behind the house. And then when he goes in, he's confronted by the vampire guy. So kind of ties them all together and uh, uh, brings the... Um, brings the uh, fourth story actually into the framing device. So I quite like that. The one that really terrified me, though, as a kid, and the only one that I think I saw as a kid, uh, is the first one, which is called Method for Murder, stars Denholm Elliott, whom you probably know as, um, uh, what is his name in the Indiana Jones trilogy? I'm not even sure he's in the second one, but he's in the first one, and uh, he's in the uh, third one, I forget, uh, uh, what his name is at the moment, but he's used for comic relief uh, in the uh, in the third one. So you probably know who I'm talking about, Denholm Elliott. And uh, he's an author, and I won't give you all the details here, but he believes that he has uh, created a real being. He, he believes that one of the characters in his mind has come to life and is now uh, tormenting him. This character happens to be a... Uh, insane or maniacal strangler and uh, so that's a really terrible character to have come to life and that is what uh, he thinks happens now I'm not exactly sure how I saw this as a kid I just very clearly remember not even being in my own house I believe I was at an aunt's house Saturday afternoon that's the time when uh, you know the local independents brought out the Hammer horror movies and the Amicus horror movies and the Godzilla movies and all these you know older type movies 
that really had that kind of grainy, almost washed out look. And just the look itself was just kind of eerie. And I saw this part. Uh, I, I saw part of, of this story. I don't even believe I saw the full thing. But I just saw a part where the character that Denholm Elliott has brought to life is standing there confronting Elliot. Now, as I remembered it, what I saw was the full figure of a person, head to toe, standing square to the camera, shoulders squared, straight looking at us, in a, a wooded setting. He was some sort of, not really jungle, but like a forest, I guess. There are trees and shrubs around him. I thought he had miraculously appeared, that he had just materialized out of nothing. I thought that he was rather demonic looking, that his hair was kind of receded back in that classic Satan widow's peak look. You're probably uh, familiar with what I'm talking about here if you've ever seen any you know, old Renaissance paintings or, or anything like that. Uh, he had pointed ears. His teeth, I don't think were like fangs, but they were kind of sharp in the front or, you know, almost like a, like a rat's teeth, how those two front teeth are real prominent. And he's just glaring menacingly uh, in, into the camera at, at us. I mean, I, I knew that he was really glaring at somebody off camera, but when you see that, that image, it looks like he's glaring at you right now. That's what I thought I saw. Again, I don't believe I saw the whole movie. I don't believe I saw the whole story, so I had no context. I just had this image of this creature materializing in the forest, and it terrified me. It terrified me so bad that I had trouble playing in the woods uh, after seeing that movie. We had a little wooded area um, by the apartment where I grew up in uh, Columbus, Ohio. This would have been before we purchased our house, so I must have only been 9 or 10. That's how old I would have been. Uh, we moved into that house, which I consider my childhood home when I was 10, 1984. So this had to be prior to that because I know that, that this happened when we were in the apartment that we lived in before we moved to that house. And uh, by that apartment, we had this little wooded area. And I'm sure today if I drove by and saw it, it would be minuscule, you know. But to me, it was a grand jungle or forest that we would go and play in after school. Well, you had to take this path to get really from one clearing to the other. And uh, at one point, the path narrowed and you had to go single file. And sometimes, for whatever reasons, your friends would run away or you would get separated from them and you would find yourself on that single pile path, uh, part of the path, all by yourself. Every time I did that, I thought this creature that I saw that Saturday afternoon in that clip from the movie was just going to appear and I would run through that part of the path. I can still remember today the feel because part of it sloped downwards. I can remember the feeling of my feet just hitting flat on the dirt and immediately, you know, springing back because I was trying to get as much velocity. I was trying to go as fast as I could uh, to get through that part because I was sure that that creature was going to appear. That happened many times. Uh, when I was in the woods. And I think that, you know, even years later, I stopped being as terrified of it. But any time I was in the woods, that image was in my mind. I, I was always concerned uh, that this, whatever it was, was just going to appear as it did in that movie. And it was going to look at me in that way. And that's all it would have to do. If it just looked at me in that way, I'm sure I would fall down dead. But of course, the look indicated that there's more to follow, right? So uh, really, just really a scary idea uh, running into this creature somewhere in the uh, woodlands of Ohio. Years and years and years later, decades later, 
I, uh, in fact, just a couple years ago, I, I was going through a little bit of a hammer horror and uh, amicus anthology phase, and I started watching all these movies. I discovered that a lot of them, you know, I had seen and hadn't realized it because when you're a kid, you don't pay attention to the titles and you just turn the TV on and whatever's on. That's that's what you see. So the House That Drip Blood was one of those. You know, I look up on Wikipedia. What's the library here? What's the canon of these films? The House That uh, Drip Blood. Uh, I always remember the title, by the way. I think I'd seen the title in a TV guide or something. So I always remember the title. I believe it was on Netflix. And I said, hey, I'll do that one. So uh, start watching it and as soon as I see this part I know uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what I had seen as a kid uh, sometimes you can't trust your memory sometimes you're not sure if uh, you have seen something uh, as a child or not but this I was sure and it was quite different from what I remember the way it really plays out is that uh, Denholm Elliott he has become convinced that this character he created is entering the real world and, and is, is up to some shenanigans he has a drawing of this character and he crumples it up. He goes and stands on a bridge. And I may have seen this part as a kid, too, because this seemed awful familiar to me. But uh, he crumples up the paper uh, that has this drawing of this character. And he tosses it into the water, you know, kind of letting us know, I'm done with this character. I'm, I'm giving up on him. And the paper floats across the water. And this character then appears at the water's edge bends down, picks up the paper. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant little move there. And then he stands up. And he gives that look, that image I remembered as a kid. Now, it was quite different from the way I remembered it. It was not a full body shot. Uh, it was uh, really just head and shoulders. Uh, he did not materialize out of thin air. At least he didn't like just pop onto screen, which is how I remembered it. That, you know, it was, it was a camera trick where first there was nothing and then boop, there he is. Uh, that did not happen. He enters, you know, before the camera gets there. So he's on scene as the camera pans up. He did not look the way that I remembered. Um... He does not have that Satan Widow's Peak. Instead, he has kind of shaggy, uh, a shaggy Caesar look, which I think may have been popular at the time. I believe he has a little bit of a beard, uh, pretty rotten teeth. So his teeth were rotten, but they were not sharp in the front like I thought. Um, he really looks a lot like a Scooby-Doo villain. Um, a Scooby-Doo villain um, amplified a little bit, but still, he looks like the kind of ruffian uh, that you'd see on Scooby-Doo. I mean, that's really what he was. He's, he's a ruffian character. He's human. He's not demonic, uh, but he does look unpleasant. He's not the kind of person that you would want to encounter and certainly looks like he could um, create some havoc, uh, if you uh, catch my meaning there. So, I saw that, and I said, man, I know this is what I saw as a kid, and I was scared again, but I wasn't scared the same way, though, as I was as a kid. It wasn't um, a nostalgia scare. It, it wasn't me remembering the way I had been terrified before. They were really new fears. This segment of the uh, of the movie, not just that scene, but, but the entire segment, start to finish, brought out some new fears for me, terrified me in a new way. I'll try to break it down the best I can. Uh, one is that um, Denholm Elliott is a lot like me. Um, and the reason I say that is because as, as I rewatched this again to, to contribute this segment to the show, uh, I had misremembered. I thought this was the Christopher Lee segment. I thought Christopher Lee was the one who uh, was engaged in a battle with this creation. Christopher Lee is a lot different than me. Christopher Lee, I don't know that I'd say tougher, 
I could probably take him in a fight, especially since he's like 90, right? But um, he definitely seems more cultured, more competent, more in control. Um, he just, he seems like a, a guy that can get things done to me. I don't know if he seems that way to you, but he seems that way to me. Uh, Denholm Elliott is a lot more like me. Uh, Christopher Lee's not like me. He's, he's much more competent. Even if I could beat him up, he's much more comp- competent than I am. Denholm Elliott, he seems a lot like what I am. Uh, he just is an average guy. He doesn't seem incompetent, but he doesn't seem super competent either. I mean, it looks like you could get the drop on this fella and put a hurting on him. Uh, and that's certainly true of me is why I've been told I'm naive. Uh, I don't uh, always uh, know what's going on around me. So uh, Denholm Elliott is a lot more like me than Christopher Lee is. I, I therefore identify with the main character much more. I therefore am terrified much more by what happens, by the way that this uh, being is intruding uh, into his life. Uh, second reason that this uh, terrified me is because I'm a writer like uh, Elliot is. And, and what is happening here is he believes one of his creations has come to life. Now, I won't say yay or nay on that because I, I don't want to give away the ending here, but that's what he believes. Um, and he says that he took this character, he was inspired uh, to create this character by real life. He said, I looked out my window and I saw this guy. Um, so he he has reason to believe that, that this guy actually exists outside of him, but then he hears voices in the house, he sees quick visions of Dominique, that is the name of this uh, maniacal strangler, and uh, has that encounter uh, by the water, and so really has come to believe that uh, life is imitating art, that art has uh, infiltrated life. Fiction uh, has become nonfiction. Uh, I, too, am a writer, uh, not nearly as successful as uh, Denholm Elliott. Uh, certainly none of my fiction has been, but I have uh, written a couple screenplays. I, I have a novel blocked out. I have several others. Um, I have several other synopses uh, of novels. So I have these characters in my head, and it really is a strange and almost scary thing. I mean, you really do try to create people with motives, with emotions, with um, quirks and traits and personalities uh, of, of their own. And you do begin to wonder, you know, what's my capacity inside this skull? You know, how much storage space do I have in my brain? What if I create something so good that it starts to create havoc for me? What if I create a, a character real enough uh well, that they become self-aware, I guess, or at least can uh, can affect me and my behavior in some way. It's a legitimate fear, and you see that kind of played out here um, in this episode. The main reason, though, that this episode is uh, so scary to me today is that Dominique, this maniacal strangler, um, even though he's human and not demonic, um, he seems much more intelligent. The demonic character that I had thought I saw and that uh, terrified me as I ran through the woods as a kid. He was demonic, sure, evil, up to no good, and yet that just seemed to be his nature. Um, Much more like an animal, for example. I I don't think we're terrified of animals the same way that we're terrified of serial killers, right? I mean, a, a bear or a lion can kill you the same as a man with a knife can, and yet, for me, I'm never terrified you know, by a bear or lion. I mean, there are horror movies that have bears and lions in them, right? Isn't there Night of the Grizzly? I remember seeing that as a kid. And uh, they had one called Prey, uh, didn't they? And what was that, 2000? 
three, maybe. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, it was a lion in that. And there's been Rogue had a crocodile, right? And that just doesn't scare me one bit, even though you're just as dead, right? If a alligator bites you in half, I mean, you're, you're dead. But there's, there's just some terrifying aspect that's not there. And I, I can't really explain it uh, any much more than that. It's just, yeah, you're dead, but there was no premeditation. There was no intention. It's just an animal doing what an animal does. It's just an animal getting food, right? So um, it's uh, not at all uh, scary to me. I don't want it to happen, but it's not scary. When you're dealing with a rational person, though, it, it does become much scarier. Again, I can't explain why, but it becomes much scarier to think that here is a person that is looking at you with, with willful intent to do harm. There's a movie called Pacific Heights, uh, 91, maybe 92. Uh, Michael Keaton plays this psychotic killer that's moved into Melanie Griffith and, uh, not Matthew McConaughey. What's it? Matthew Modine, uh, moved into their house. He's a tenant in their house. And in one scene of the film, uh, Melanie Griffith comes down into the garage and, um, uh, she, I'm not sure she notices or not, but Michael Keaton is down there sitting in his car and he's got this razor blade and he's just turning it over in his fingers, you know, and you just know, whatever he's thinking is dark and vile and evil, right? You know, uh, the fact that somebody would be thinking evil things, the fact that somebody would do, um, intentionally do evil things to you, uh, intelligently do evil things, set out purposefully to do them. That is much more terrifying to me, even than a demon that's just acting on its impulses, that just says, I'm a demon and I kill people and that's the way it is. That, again, is much more in the lion, the bear, the crocodile territory. But a man, even though he doesn't have demonic powers, a man who can be intentional, even if he's crazy, I mean, Dominique was supposed to be maniacal, but there was an intelligence to him. So a man who can be intelligent and intentional in doing you harm. That's a terrifying thing. And that's a thing that can happen in real life, my friends. I mean, you can just be going about your daily life and all of a sudden somebody can step in your path just as Dominique stepped in uh, Elliot Denholm's path, right? Some You could just be minding your own business and someone stands in front of you and gives you this look that says, I'm going to screw with you. Um, that really happens might even happen this Halloween. Thank you for joining us for this special bonus episode of the 2014 Spooky Flicks Fest. And a special thanks to Doug McCoy. You can hear more of Doug's excellent podcasts by searching for McCoycast in iTunes. Looking for more spooky fun? Why not head on over to ForgottenFlicks.com where you can sign up to receive free updates and something horrific delivered to your inbox every day in October. See you soon. 